In light of events in our nation this week, I am, in addition to the Timothy reading, adding a reading from Psalm 77, which we will do now. If you would like to follow um, this reading, Psalm 77 is in the middle of the Psalms, which is in the middle of the Bible. Hear now Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable. Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Yet I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Peace to God. The selection from 1 Timothy that we will read today um, is from 1 Timothy 4, and it's some selected verses uh, from 6, verses 6 through 16. Let us hear now the word of God. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, 
you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I, until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Put these things into practice and devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Flaubert once said that human speech is like a cracked kettle on which we beat our tunes for bears to dance, when in reality we long to move the stars to pity. Lord, as we gather today around the cracked kettle of human speech, in sermon, in prayer, in music, in sacrament, May you use our words to move the stars to pity. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Like most of you, I awakened Wednesday morning to news and video of the death of an African-American male, Alton Sterling, at the hands of police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That night brought news of the death of an even younger African-American, Philando Castile, at the hands of police outside St. Paul, Minnesota. The, video, the videos were dramatic in both sight and sound. As is normally the case with me, I turned aside and did not watch. The next day, Thursday, was my day off. I went to the Y at 6 a.m. I worked in the yard until noon, had lunch, and watched the last few hours of Director James Comey's testimony concerning the FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Testimony interspersed with more details about the deaths in Minnesota and Baton Rouge and with reports of Donald Trump's campaign speech in Raleigh on Wednesday night and of his two meetings on the Hill Thursday morning. During this time, I was also involved in a discussion via text as to appropriate wording we might print in our joys and concerns to convey our concern about these shootings, but an effort we abandoned as the printing deadline loomed and we knew we would deal with these matters in some other way in worship. At the same time, I was involved in an email exchange with one of our members concerning, concerning Mr. Comey's testimony and the likely choice before us in the upcoming presidential election. By the time the sun went down Thursday night, 
The Nats had fallen behind in the home run derby they were playing in New York. I was very tired and I fell asleep earlier than usual. It was only when my phone beeped and lit up about 2 a.m. that I learned of five police officers being killed by a sniper in Dallas. Officer Patrick Zamaripa, Officer Lorne Ahrens, Officer Michael Kroll, Officer Michael J. Smith, Officer Brent Thompson. I rarely sleep well the second half of the night, and that news only made it worse. About 6.45 a.m., it's now Friday morning, I left the house to drive to Capitol Hill, where I lead, in conjunction with the Faith and Politics Institute, a study and discussion of a scripture text each Friday morning for a small group of Senate and House Chiefs of Staff. There were five members present on Friday, three Democrats and two Republicans, two from the Senate and three from the House, two men, three women. The psalm I had randomly chosen early in the week led to a remarkable discussion of the previous 72 hours in our nation's life. As soon as the group was breaking up and most members had left, the Capitol Police came to the door and told the two of us remaining that the Capitol was on lockdown and we would have to remain in the room until further notice. About 30 minutes later, the lockdown was lifted and I drove back to the church to start my sermon. While I began writing this sermon with the assumption that I would continue the series from the pastoral epistles entitled Jewels in the Attic, and I would preach this week's jewel from 1 Timothy about speech and conduct, the discussion of the psalm that I had just left kept pressing to the front of my mind, so I decided to accept that push as coming from somewhere else somewhere beyond my own desire to preach from 1 Timothy and to start the sermon with the psalm. As I said in the group, the psalm, which is 77, and we read it earlier, begins with a prayer of anguish. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Though God tries to reach me, my soul refuses to be comforted. The psalmist's anguish deprives him of sleep. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion, locked it deep within himself, never to be shared with the human race again? 
a member of the group whose first time to attend was Friday morning, said, I saw the reports of Dallas about 10 o'clock last night, and I did not sleep a wink last night. After the psalmist expresses his own sleepless anguish, his mood suddenly shifts. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord, he says. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all of your mighty works. I will muse, muse, muse on your mighty deeds. Despite his anguish, the psalmist is able to call into his memory the comfort and hope that he has based on the good God has provided him and his people in the past. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. With these words, the psalmist is remembering the Exodus. Remembering the stories passed down from generations long ago. Remembering the stories of God leading his people, the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt to freedom via a dangerous, watery crossing of the Red Sea. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. All this the psalmist is able to call up to memory in the sleeplessness of his anguished night. Then the psalmist concludes with words that I think can speak to us. Your way, O oh God, your way was through the sea. Your path was through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. In the Friday morning group, we decided that this means whatever God will lead us through as individuals, as the people of God, as a nation, as the human race, whatever God will lead us through, God's leading will be through the times of anguish and doubt, through the events and conditions out of which they arise, through the seas, through the mighty waters. God will not lead us around the mighty waters. God will not lead us behind them or in front of them or under them. God will not give us the luxury of avoiding the mighty waters. The only way out that God will provide is the way through. And we won't likely see the footprints of God until we're on the other side and look back. While I was awaiting the lifting of lockdown, I decided, of course, to check my email. Something that not even lockdown can keep out. I opened an email from a member of the church just a few minutes after it arrived. It read, 
Given the events of this week, the tenor of the political season, and probably a half a dozen other things that have weighed on my heart and mind, all outside my comfortable bubble, I got to thinking about how folks would be turning to worship this weekend for comfort. The email continued. I'm thinking about going to a church that has a predominantly black congregation this weekend. Suggestions in addition to Alfred Street Baptist? I'm more than happy to go alone, but if you think others from our congregation would want to join, I'm happy to try to organize a small group. In the book of 1 Timothy, on which we have been spending summer sermons, the aging Apostle Paul is writing his young understudy Timothy, to whom he is about to turn over the leadership of the small house churches for which Paul has been heretofore responsible. These churches have 40 or 50 members at most, they meet in homes. They exist as a minority religious faith in a land that is marked by the imperial religion and the emperor worship of Rome. Each house church and its small number of Christians simply seek to practice the Christian faith quietly and under the radar so as not to cause or get into trouble. Among the pieces of advice that Paul gives Timothy concerning his leadership of these congregations and concerning his own Christian commitment is this. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct. What the member of our church was expressing through his desire to attend a black congregation this morning was a desire to understand and connect with somebody that may be hurting in a way that he has never hurt. It is a desire for speech. It is a desire for listening. It is a desire for communication. It is a desire for learning and understanding another human being, as our member said, outside the bubble of my comfort zone. All, all with the possibility of impacting conduct. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct. How many of us in this sanctuary actually know a police officer personally? How many of us have ever experienced or even imagined what it was like what it is like to put on a uniform, a badge, enter a squad car, 
and in so doing immediately assume a risk to one's life. How many of us have ever lost someone we love killed in the line of duty? At least one of us has. Maybe others in this congregation. But I suspect that many of us do not personally know someone who serves on a police force. Outside the bubble of our experience. Likewise, how many of us have ever been stopped by police for something minor, but then questioned for something that seems more related to the color of our skin than any other factor? How many of us have felt threatened by an officer of the state? How many of us have lost someone to these servants of public order that we so cherish? It may be that someone has here, but I imagine that most of us haven't. Outside the bubble of our experience, Thinking about going to a predominantly black congregation this weekend, the email said, and the person did, seeking to understand, seeking to listen, set the believers an example in speech and conduct. I said in the sermon two weeks ago that I never lose hope for our country. I do not lack faith that God will lead us beyond the divisions of which we are so acutely aware right now. God has led us through the sea in the past, and God will lead us through these turbulent waters now, though it will not be without great effort on our part. And it will not be, unfortunately, without many never experiencing firsthand the blessings for which they fight and die. God's leading will likely be at the pace of historical change. Slowly, in fits and starts, but lead, God will. One role that we can play is living into these two words that Paul gives us. Speech and conduct. The first time I remember being aware that our country was divided was in the fall of 1960. When I entered kindergarten, sometimes even walking to a red brick Methodist church almost a mile from our house in Memphis, Tennessee. I started school a couple of months before the Kennedy-Nixon election. 
And even at the age of five, I could tell that some people really hated Catholics and that some people really hated communists. I wasn't old enough to sort out what all that meant, what all those strong feelings were about. Though I recall once when my parents told me that I had to come in for dinner instead of go outside and play with my friend, I called them communists. (laughs) I knew it would get them. I knew it had something to do with freedom. (laughs) A few weeks before that election, I received the first of many report cards that I would receive over the next 20 years. And believe it or not, in kindergarten, the end of the 1950s, it had a category on it labeled, some of you will remember this, deportment. (laughs) The meaning had a different connotation then than it does now. But under deportment were two lines on which we were graded. Speech and conduct. The grades that we could receive, as I recall, were, join me in this, E for S for N for I think it yeah, needs improvement. That's the way I remember it. Needs improvement. And then there was you. Unsatisfactory. Now we would say that means you're out of here. I honestly don't remember the grade I received. But I remember well the expectation. Set an example in speech and conduct. Those two elements may be the most important elements of any report card I ever received.